Beautiful as usual. Thank you so much. Vital doctrines for living victoriously. I want to spend the rest of this month along that uh, topic, along that theme, if you will, under God's leading. And um, we'll begin that today, a message entitled, A Giant Step. A Giant Step. You know, as I listen to that song, it's my prayer not only for our church, but every church, that we are undivided. We're all one God, one purpose, heading in the right direction. Well, almost 50 years to the date, July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong uh, was the first man to step foot on the moon, and one of the first things that he said, according to what's been recorded, was this, and I quote, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And I want us to use that quote as sort of a springboard for the message uh, today. And as I thought about that, what a gigantic step in the progress of science and how far we've come since that day, some 50 years ago. But I began to think this week, not only 50 years ago, but I began to think back some 2,000 plus years ago when another step for humanity took place. And it happened in a little village we know as Bethlehem. It was a giant step for both humanity and God when what happened? When Jesus entered the scene. Everything changed. And I believe, and I hope you believe today, that for we as Christians, one of the most fascinating studies we can make is to learn more of the life of Jesus on earth and his ministry to mankind. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word there meaning Jesus. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for, a, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the word of the Lord. We thank you, O oh God, for this passage of Scripture. And I pray now that as we look at this message together, that you will show us what it is you want us to learn 
from this passage and from other selected passages that we'll look at today. We pray in your name. Amen. I hope you take some notes. Three important facets of the life and public ministry of Jesus. And let's begin with the incarnation. And we saw that in verse number 14. One of the greatest facets of Jesus is that he is God man, meaning that he is 100% God, 100% man, thus meaning that God came to the earth and lived as a human being just like you and I. To me and I hope to you, this is the greatest step ever recorded in history. So what does the incarnation imply? I've got some blanks there for you to fill in. Well, it, 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 this is what it implies, that the infinite became finite. The invisible became visible. The eternal was conformed to time. What else might it imply? Simply that God knows man. God knows man. God, the creator of the universe, we're told in Scripture, became a man. Therefore, God knows humanity better than anybody else. <clears throat> it was during World War II that Lawrence of Arabia sided with the Allied army. They said to him, if you would lead us, you must eat the same food we eat find shelter in the same tents in which we dwell, accept the same risks that we accept, meet the same difficulties that we meet, live the same life we live, and live it better than we do. End of quote. The God-man, God in human flesh, did just that. What did he do, church? He identified with us Completely. By what? By walking and talking and living there in the area called Palestine. And because God became flesh, he knows what you and I go through. Would you believe that? God knows what you and I go through. He has been there. He knows our difficulties. He knows our hardships. He knows our struggles. You see, Jesus experienced the very same thing. I think Hebrews 4 4 in verse 15 identifies Jesus beautifully. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. But here's the big difference. What's the difference? Yet without what? Sin. Yet without Sin. So see, Jesus knows all about being human like you and me. S something else this incarnation implies, that Jesus reveals God. That Jesus reveals God. Even when God became flesh, it did not take away his deity. Philippians 2, 6 tells us, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, I did a little Greek study on that word equal this week. And, and this, is what, this is what it means. I think it helps us understand this a little better. The Greek word for equal defines things that are exactly the same size, quantity, quality, character, and number. So in every sense of the word, every sense of whatever it is, Jesus is equal to God 
and he constantly claimed to be so during his earthly ministry when he was here on earth. You see, Jesus was the Son of God. His character reflects his deity. The character. He never gave into sin. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could say that? He never gave into sin. He avoided the temptation of a me self-centered ministry. How many times do we have to knock me off the shelf? How many times do we have to knock me out of the way and put God in his rightful place? What about Jesus' miracles? His miracles reflect his deity. Remember how Jesus demonstrated his power over the, over the winds and the waves of the sea? How he changed water into wine? What about when he put on display his, his, his deity by healing the sick? By giving uh, sight to the blind. All those things. Even raising people back to life. And what about his authority he had over demons? <clears throat> Roman numeral number two on your handout. His dedication. Another facet of Jesus is his dedication to God the Father and to, and to humanity. To you and to me. Someone once said, and I quote, the greatness of a person can be measured by his or her degree of dedication. I began to think about that this week, and I began to think about my life personally and the, and the, and the lives of all people throughout the world, and I wonder what it, what it is that we're truly dedicated to. Yes, I'm dedicated to loving my wife and my, and my children and my grandchildren. And so are you if you're married and have children and grandchildren. You're, you're dedicated to, to loving them and taking care of them and providing for them. But I wonder this morning if we're truly dedicated to the one who allows us to have spouses and children and grandchildren. So what does this obedience and dedication to God and to humanity mean? It means obedience to the Father's will. To the Father's will. Whatever God wanted the Son to do, guess what? Did he do it? He did it every single time. Did he second-guess his Father? Absolutely not. He never said no. He always did what God told him, instructed, commanded him to do from the very beginning. Remember when he was 12 years old and, and mom and dad was looking for him and couldn't find him and where was he? He was in the temple. He, he said this in Luke 2, 49, and he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Remember when Satan tempted Jesus there with those three attractive proposals, if you will? There in Matthew chapter 4, for sake of time, we won't go there, but look at chapter 4 when he said, turn these stones into bread. And, and Jesus said, uh, uh, no, um, get thee behind me, Satan, and go up to this pinnacle. I'll give you everything if you'll just bow down to me, if you'll jump on. And Jesus, no. Jesus didn't cave into temptation like we do so many times. So see, for 33 and a, little, and a half years, Jesus was obedient to God the Father. Something else this dedication to God and humanity means is a service to the needs of others. Have you ever thought if, if Jesus didn't meet our needs, what would, what would happen sometimes? I love Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Folks, that's complete dedication to others. That's putting me to the side and putting someone else before me. That's what Jesus did. What about thirdly on your handout, his exaltation? Now, I want, to, I want you to look at this passage with me as we, as we wrap this up. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and go find verse 8, if you will. <clears throat> when Jesus entered human history, keep this in mind. It was a giant step for God. But what was it for us? It was a benefit. You know those jobs that you have that come with benefits and you like those things because it helps you with your income and all of that stuff well folks those are pale in comparison to the benefits that God gives to you and to me you see we we know that after those 33 and a half years when Jesus was was crucified there he, he spent very little time on earth 33 and a half years and remember following that shameful death on the cross what happened he was exalted and let me show that to you verse 8 of Philippians 2 and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient this is how obedient he was to the point of death even the death of the cross that's the great love that God has for us. Verse 9, therefore God also has, get this, highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name. And look at 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, let me focus on confess just for a moment as we wrap it up. That word confess means this. Acknowledge, affirm, agree. Which is what every single person on the face of this earth will eventually do in response to the lordship of Christ Jesus. Willingly and blessedly or unwillingly and painfully. No one will escape that. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even those people that don't want to are going to do it one day. As I looked at this passage this week, I, I, I saw that God has taken many steps for each of us. God allowed Christ Jesus to be born of a virgin, to be crucified, to die for you and for me. He took, God took that gigantic step when he stepped through time and space to do what? To rescue us. He threw us that life raft when we were out in the middle of the ocean drowning in our sinfulness. And see, if we have not taken that step toward him in faith, he wants us to. Do you believe that today? He wants us to. He wants us to walk with him every step we take. 
Maybe you're here today and you, you've, you've never taken that step. You've nef- never taken that leap of faith to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you have taken that step. You have trusted Him with your, with, with your, with your life. You are a Christian, but your steps lately have not been with the steps that Jesus takes. They haven't been in the direction of Jesus. Something has, tr- has sidetracked you. I listened to this song over and over this week. And in, cl- and in conclusion, let me share it with us. I wish we could all sing this. Maybe we'll do this one day. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. And the chorus goes, so here I am to worship. Here I, I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God, and you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, oh, so highly, here it is, highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth, you created. All, get this, all for love's sake, what did he do? Became poor. And I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the message that you've given us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would truly take some time this week to sit back and relax and to try to fathom in our little puny brains just what you did. When you stepped out of heaven... And came to this earth to rescue us. Lord, no other man, woman, boy, or girl would be willing to do that. Only you, God. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for leaving a perfect place and coming to a sinful, dark world to save us. And to give us a hope. And to give us a future. We pray in your name. Amen. Our hymn number 399. Let's stand as we sing.